This is Chelsea. This is Andy. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, a podcast upon which we watch (laughs) old episodes, very special episodes of television from the past and see what they have to teach us today. Today we are watching Dragnet, specifically Dragnet 67, Mm. an episode called The LSD Story, which is episode one, season one of Dragnet 67, but technically episode one of season nine of Dragnet. We'll talk about more about that in a moment. Okay. Uh, the original air date is January 12th, 1967. It was written by Jack Webb, who also produced and stars in the show, but he is credited as John Randolph. And you can watch basically the entire series on YouTube. Normally, you don't advocate for watching things on YouTube, but this whole series is... Uh, this portion of it is in the public domain now. Yeah. So go ahead and watch it on YouTube. You don't spend a fucking dime on this. (laughs) There's so much to say about Dragnet. I'm amazed that in this iteration of Dragnet, this is the episode they chose to start out with. And the events of this episode take place, what, in some portions, three months before this episode comes out. The timeline on this is so bizarre. Well, it really shows in their lack of research and accountability. Uh, (laughs) Let's uh, let's let's get into our snack. I'm going to need fuel for the fire. Miles found these snacks. Miles, you want to tell us what we got here today? Oh, I swung by my favorite section, the freezer section of the grocery <laughs> store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Came upon these. I was like, oh, this is uh, this is an old familiar friend with a new little new little twist. They're uh, Klondike bars. Neapolitan. Neapolitan Klondike bars. It actually bars. sounds like it's an old twist on an old thing. Is it? Neapolitan is the, when, I, I'm assuming it was revolutionary for its time. I see When it was saying. like, guys, I got an idea. You know how there's only three flavors of ice cream? <laughs> Let's put them all together. Let's sandwich what? them together and make a sandwich out of them. Hey guys, no I one have can a, live at that speed. Hey guys, I have a dream of people ignoring one third of an <laughs> container of ice cream. Which one third do you ignore? The strawberry. Nobody, who would ever? I ignore the vanilla. I like the chocolate and the strawberry. <laughs> you like original tart when I you do like to yogurt I do chops. Like tart yogurt, I do. Original tart, not that new snazzy tart. No thanks. All right, so let's get into this Klondike right. Neapolitan. really yummy yeah especially it's it's been you know between 90 and 100 degrees for Jeez, a month kidding. here in los angeles nice to have an ice cream treat once again i left the vanilla out of the equation it's weird but i like that the chocolate it's not like an ice cream sandwich like it's not like a cookie or a cakey thing it's it's like a like a dip cone like a hard chocolate magic shell although friday the most recent friday was uh, national ice cream sandwich day oh Yes. I feel like we, we did our national duty. We did our national duty. Congrats to us. Uh, speaking of national holidays, this the day that <laughs> <laughs> the day that this episode comes out, 
will be a year and a day since we released our second episode. Which we is mi- our way of saying, we <laughs> missed our anniversary. We missed our anniversary. So happy, happy- belated anniversary <laughs> to ourselves. Happy Ugh. anniversary plus one week and one day. I thought I was irresponsible about my nieces and nephews. <laughs> no, this is our, our baby and we forgot it's yeah. first birthday. Uh, it's too young to remember <laughs> No, it won't, it won't fault no, us. No, 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 absolutely um, So not. happy anniversary, buddy. This has been a great year. Happy anniversary. All right, enough of that. Plus a week. Crap. Yeah. Sentimental. Crap. Let's talk about facts. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk Just about... Just the facts. Goddamn facts. So let's talk a tiny bit, because we could talk for a while, I researched for a while, about yeah. Dragnet and what Dragnet is, in case uh, you don't know. Which I feel like this is a, a thing that some of our listeners might not have encountered before. Mm-hmm. Dragnet actually started out as an American radio drama series, and it follows the cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday, and his various partners. The show takes its name from the police term dragnet, meaning a system of coordinated measures for apprehending criminals or suspects. So dragnet starts off as a radio program, and then it became a television series, which was rebooted four times. Sure. It's had three motion pictures, and it's probably the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. Mm-hmm. At the time, it earned praise for improving the public opinion of police officers. At the time, we are watching it, the 60s, which is actually the second television reboot. So the original run in the 50s was eight seasons. This is Dragnet 67, the episode we're talking about today, which lasted four seasons, or nine, eight episodes from 1967 to 1970. Then there were two series reboots for a total of 16 seasons, 762 episodes, and three movies. Wow. Dick Wolf actually tried to revive it in 2003 as L.A. Dragnet without success. Sure. It's um, a matter of time before we get another goddamn uh, run at Dragnet. It's, it's true. The thing about, the fun thing about today's episode, as we said, it's the first the first episode of the 1967 reboot, this is the first color episode of Dragnet. Wow. Yeah. It's, wow, how fitting. I know, right? By the way, I, I look forward to a future in which we can enjoy RuPaul's Dragnet. <laughs> what a crossover. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> That's the only Dragnet we need in 2019 and beyond. I'm serving you something fishy and this subpoena. <laughs> <laughs> Cut, print. So, John Rudolph... Jack Webb, apparently, is the creator of Dragnet. He became fascinated by the intricate behind-the-scenes details of police investigators while working on the 1948 film noir He Walked by Night. Um, He was cast in this movie as a crime lab technician, and this gave him an idea for a police drama series with a similar feel. And with the cooperation of Chief William H. Parker of the LAPD, he created Dragnet and its protagonist, Sergeant Joe Friday. The important thing to know, and it is a thing that we will talk about probably throughout, is that the LAPD coordinated and advised on every episode of Dragnet ever made. Sure. They were really, really deep into Dragnet, shot in L.A., and because of that, and probably not surprisingly, this is an almost fancifully nice depiction of police officers. It It, is. It is is almost fantastical how amazingly well the police come off. Yeah, the police are are the moral center of the universe in Dragnet and everything else is under their purview to judge... They're Judge Judy and Executioner. I'm sorry, that's, I'm stealing that from somebody else. And but it's they not, are. They it, are the moral superiority in the world of Dragnet, and yeah. everything else is just whatever they think it is. Yeah, and it's not just Joe Friday and his various partners in this 
iteration, his partner's name is Bill Gannon. Mm-hmm. Anytime anyone says something like that, well, you're not like other cops. Well, you're you're one of the good ones. He is always, Sergeant Friday is always quick to say, no, I'm just like every cop out, you know, like every cop out sure. there is so great. Yeah. Which I don't know. I haven't read the news in the past 20 years. Is that still true? Well, it wasn't true at this. The, the I know. Watts riots were going on. <laughs> Girl. Uh, we are gonna have never sense. I've never called you just girl before. I can't. I can't pull off sassy. It just doesn't work. Girl, you're trying. You're still in the RuPaul's still, Drag Dragnet. I'm still mindset. trying to work out how RuPaul's Drag Dragnet works. Just the shade. We got really gossipy really quickly. We did. But no, we're going to talk about uh, the riots happening in the background of this episode, <laughs> right? right. Uh, which is fantastic. So let's start with the the cold open. Yeah, you would recognize the the trumpety authoritative authoritative bam bam which is the theme song. And this is, I think, the first time we get in media the the or at least the most famous. The story you're about to see is true. Yeah. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Sure. The episode opens with Jack Webb's Sergeant Joe Friday voiceover. Mm-hmm. This is the city, Los Angeles, California. And everything that follows in the next few minutes is to set up the ordinary world of Los Angeles. Boy, it couldn't be series. more fucking ordinary. So Jack <laughs> Webb is telling us that it's L.A. where people come to live and play. And then he starts talking about kids and how when kids are, are young adults, they start looking for answers. And then he says they might find it here. Yeah. And it's a church. <laughs> yep. Here's, here's where he thinks you might find it. A, a church. B, a Jewish-themed church. C, another church. D, the Griffith Observatory that he may have mistaken for a church. Or E, college, where you can get a degree in church. Right, UCLA campus. Those and are the then only options. That's those, it. Those, that's it. And then also, you know where you won't find it? In case you were wondering where you won't find something. Where's that? Uh, we're going to zoom in very close on a pill capsule. Yeah. This little bit ends with... One thing is sure, whatever they're looking for cannot be found inside a number five capsule. When they try, that's where I come in. I carry a badge. Dun, dun, yep. yep. Congrats on carrying a badge. So dude. I guess if you're kicking off your resurrected cop show in 1967 and you want to let the audience know that you understand the pressing concerns of the modern citizen, this is where you start hallucinogenic drugs if yeah. you're Jack Webb, I guess. As we said, the the did we say it? The the details of this, the timeline of this is the episode comes out January sixty seven. The events are April and then October of sixty six. Top bet issue. There's a call to adventure and the next thing that happens is we get <laughs> his chief calls him to adventure and Joe Friday snaps around like he's under a threat. <laughs> right. He and Gannon are just ball sauntering changes, turns on that's fine. Go ahead. Sauntering down the hall mm-hmm. in the same suits and ties they wear the same suit and tie in every episode yeah not because it's a uniform that all detectives have to wear but because jack webb was obsessed with cutting costs on dragnet (laughs) and one of the ways they cut costs was they could use establishing shots and like shots of them walking around from episode to episode if they always wore the same suits so they did cool another way they cut costs is they're reading their lines off a teleprompter in case you wonder why they sound like robots they don't have rehearsals like this i am talking to you right now yes and it is a line that i am saying exactly they had old-fashioned cue cards before the teleprompters and then teleprompters because jack webb was like rehearsal time is cost money so we just have everybody show up to set and read their lines off a teleprompter that's why everybody sounds like a fucking robot cool thanks yes. stingy <laughs> uncle friday 
Uh, yeah, well, it comes off like you're real robotic, which is not how I want to think of the police. You know what the funny thing is, though? I loved this show as a kid. Sure. I don't know why. Because even watching it as an adult the other day, I was just like, this is so boring. Why? Yeah. Did, how did I sit through this as a kid? It helps that it's a half hour yes. cop procedural, which we don't have anymore. And it rolls along, man. They aren't they aren't taking a second. They, no. they take a couple seconds to moralize and like shake their heads at the so state of things. So much shaking of heads boy, and oh eye boy. rolling. Yeah. So the chief... Do you think when they shake their head, they just move the cue cards back and yeah, forth? Yeah. Or up and down. Mm-mm. Yes. Nodding. <laughs> uh, chief Ritchie calls them in his office and he says that a, a new drug capable of producing weird and dangerous hallucinations mm-hmm. has hit the street and fallen into the hands of juvenile experimenters. And Jack Webb says in a voiceover, we had to try and stop it. So that's the call to adventure. Refusal of the call, not possible in no. this format. <laughs> so, <laughs> Refusal of the call, punishable uh, by fine. <laughs> Captain Ritchie is a little bit like a meeting with the mentor, but he's more like a herald. He issues this call yeah. to adventure. And he says that apparently a woman has called into the station to say a kid, quote unquote, Painted up like an Indian. Yep. Is chewing the bark off a tree. You know. In an abandoned lot near her house. So it's been one minute and they're already <laughs> kind of overreacting <laughs> to the idea of LSD. Right. Spoiler, it's about LSD. <laughs> right. The story right. in this is a bit of an LSD story, as it were. <laughs> as it were. So scene two, they, they immediately go to 1200 uh, Loma Linda Avenue, which is not a place. Not a place. None uh, of these places are places. They are, but they sort of like skew it. Loma Linda is a street just in East Hollywood. Right. And later but they're going to. East West Street. Oh, interesting. Loma Linda is North, North South Street. Later they're going to say they go to Vermont and Wilcox, and that intersection doesn't streets, exist. Yeah. 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 Who's on drugs now? Uh, I'm going to make that joke about 500 times, by the way. But. It's the only way we're going to get through this, so go with God. If uh, Loma Linda was a North South Street and it was at 1200, and if uh, Wilcox and Vermont are to be believed, this is pretty much in our backyard. I know. Man. It's exciting, especially yeah. the LSD party that happens later. Whoa. I was like, we can get there in 10 minutes. It's true. We could, <laughs> we could be one of the people standing around doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. So now we're in the special world of, I guess, uh, Los Angeles. Angeles on LSD. Mm-hmm. So they head off to find this kid. It's and it's so obviously shot in front of a painted drop. <laughs> which is like this is you're shooting in LA, it's set in LA, it's a park or abandoned lot. Just go film there. Like just, how hard would that have could been? Walk across the street from wherever this studio is. <laughs> right? And it will look like LA. But I guess <laughs> because it is. I guess it costs less money to have someone paint a backdrop. You know, it's like you seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> You'd have to guess it costs less money. Anything in this, you'd be like, that's the cheapest that's thing probably, possible. Yeah. So this guy who looks like he's in his early twenties, but we're gonna hear later he's eighteen. He's seventeen now. Seventeen. Has his head buried in the ground. Oh boy. It's he's somehow there's a hole and some loose gravel and dirt, and yeah. he's got his head buried in it. And it, when they pull him up, <laughs> his face is painted half blue and half yellow. The musical sting is like they're revealing a Batman villain, by the way. It's like da and they're gonna call him blue boy he's gonna call himself blue boy for the rest of the episode and yeah. i'm just like but he's half yellow boy yeah we're this ignoring like... <laughs> we're ignoring the yellow half of this boy it, it seems like he's he's more like a harlequin type of a boy oh. but they call him blue boy and he's wearing a jacket that's hand painted very neatly on the back <laughs> very is. neatly yeah like he stenciled it mm-hmm. live and let live down with fuzz yep yeah so it's a leather shirt jacket, sure poncho. It's like a lady's jacket. It is. It's got some drawstrings in the front. 
It's like uh, it's like somebody did Robin Hood cosplay, but didn't remember where Robin yeah, Hood. Yeah, and then was place. like, I want to put an anti-police sentiment on the back of this. Yeah. kind of. So he's he's going on and on, Blue Boy, about how he could see down to the center of the Earth, and yeah. there's a purple pilot light down sure. there. And Ganon pats him down and finds out that the the kid is clean except for some sugar cubes. Which somehow let Friday know that he's been dropping acid. Joe Friday sees these sugar cubes and he's like, kids on acid, immediately. Yeah, pretty much. But do you hear what Ganon first suspects he's on? He's like, what do you think, Friday? Cartwheels? <laughs> like Which goofballs. A very yellow quaint, jackets. I looked it up. <laughs> Cartwheels is a very quaint term that your grandma might use if she's describing amphetamines. <laughs> Would your kids like some cookies or some cartwheels? <laughs> so Let's get fucking rich. Uh, no, Joe suspects it's that dang acid he's heard so much about. And, you know, this is a nightmare for him because dang kids, they're not content to be on a lawn. Now they're going to be in a lawn. Now you're going to have to yell, get hey. Get out of my lawn. Get out from within my lawn, you kids, and then get off my lawn. Oh, I'm out of oh. breath now. That's two. It's one more step than I wanted to have to do. In other words, society falls apart. Right, right, right. So this kid says he won't give him his name. He says it's it's Blue Boy and the cops should know that. And he's going on and on about how he's a tree now. <laughs> yep. And they read him his Miranda rights and they decide to take him to Central Receiving Hospital. Right. And I just realized watching it that this show is definitely where I learned my Miranda rights. Sure, absolutely. First, but I do want to point this out. It's not intentional. Blue Boy says... Even if your body dies, your mind will live on. And Officer Gannon goes, yeah, we know. That made me laugh. I was like, yeah, we know. We read the Dorset Perception, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Our mortal forms are just a vessel, and we are the universe observing itself through temporary spiritual lenses. We get it. You're coming with us because you whacked out on goofballs, kid. That, that's the only line that made me loll in the whole thing, because he's so deadpan. Even more than Friday, Gannon <laughs> yeah, has no emotion. Yeah, we know. Also, by the way, we do need to <laughs> point it out for the sake of continuity. When they're hassling this kid, he does freak out a bit and attacks Officer Gannon's sleeve. Yep, yep. He says that the cops are evil disbelievers, and to be punished, you know, Gannon has to have his jacket sleeve ripped. So yeah, which then they, they have to cuff him after that. Now the budget for this show is twice as much. <laughs> right. We That's my every it. episode jacket. God. So they go down to Central Receiving, where they're trying to question this blue boy kid. Now their chief is with them. But he's still tripping pretty hard. Yeah, they say he's under. He's determined to be under the influence of an unknown drug. So Sergeant Friday, just his spidey sense tells him that, that it's acid, but they don't know that for sure yet. After being discharged from the hospital, they take him back to the station. Mm -hmm. He's calmer, but he still won't say what he took or what his real name is. Right. And they don't really know if the drug effects are wearing off. He does say, I know my rights, man. I don't want a lawyer, and I don't need a lawyer. Yeah. There's no law against what I did. He's like, you're on drugs, and he's there's, there's a law against being on drugs, and he's like, not the kind I'm on, and he's right. He's 100% yeah. right. But Friday's response to that <laughs> is, you're pretty high on Far Out, aren't you? And I think pretty high on Far Out is probably going to be the title of my eventual memoir. Sure. A.K.A. a scapegoat. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea Morgenthal Pulaski's uh, foray into sick society. Pretty Look. high on far out, aren't you? What kind of kick are you on? Cartwheels! Uh, Cartwheels, man. <laughs> See, he st so he starts thinking that he's a train and really freaks out. But more importantly, 
when he thinks he's a train, this is the first time we see Officer Gannon's sleeve, which looks like it's been straight up stapled. It does. Back it on. does. He gave that to so he like threw that at some secretary on the way in to yeah. staple for him before the interrogation. He didn't take that off. No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm assuming if you take this jacket off, you're fired. That's a demerit. <laughs> at least. Blue Boy calls the sugar cubes the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And then he goes on and on and on about being on a train, and. He does the thing that I love, which is he gets quieter and quieter and they get closer and closer to him. And then he stands up and straight up Real Housewives style flips a table. <laughs> he sure it's fuck pretty does. Funny. It's pretty it's funny. I laughed. This is like a laugh a minute because it's like Officer Gannon's sleeve, high on far out, throwing shit on the ground. I'm like, you shouldn't have put your shit right next to a man. Why is he at a desk that has paperwork oh, no. on it? He thinks he's a train, yeah. guys. Like, don't put anything near him. And then he thinks he's the chair. And if I'm these guys, I'm like, get him out of that chair. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to fuck up the chair next. That's called fucking detective work there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So even though Joe Friday's already solved this thing, they're going to go through the boring police work of taking the sugar cubes in for analysis. I think you mean exposition. <laughs> they're taking it to scientist Professor Expo. They have uh, to get those sugar cubes down to the crime lab. Yeah, which um, is in downtown LA's police building. Yeah. Which, sure. Sure. There's a forensic chemist there named Ray Murray who doesn't actually run the cubes. He just like, no. just like Joe Friday, he's like, it's probably acid. We've been yeah. seeing this done in this way. But, and here's a ton of fa- facts about acid, but he doesn't actually, it, we never hear the results of that no. analysis. And these facts, by the way, he's like, here's what I think about acid. That we've just found out about. Uh, here's a bunch Six of Six months ago. Yeah. And I mean, up to this point, Blue Boy's really been jansporting all of the emotion for the entire cast. Sure. The show is written like a police brief, complete with, you know, the times and locations and everything, and no emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Apparently, Ned, this was not actually ever said, but the just the facts, ma'am. Mm. People associate that line with this show. Mental Floss tells me never actually said that but the idea is supposed to be like here are all of the things that happened the order they happened no embellishment wouldn't you come to the same conclusion yeah. we did oh yeah we don't have to tell you what to think we don't have to even react except for every once in a while an actor rolls their eyes or like shakes their head yeah any reasonable right thinking person would come to the same conclusions we're coming to sure yeah they're really dragging the audience behind and being like it's acid everybody we just know it. They start talking about acid and they plunge right into, boy, this acid sure is scary. Mm-hmm. They say that it's odorless, colorless, and that some people put it on the backs of postage stamps. Yeah. Which is true. When people wanted to smuggle it, they'd put it on the back of postage stamps and mail it to people. They ask if it's physically addictive and he's like, it's too early to tell. It's not. Everybody knows by now that it's not physically addictive. Yeah. and then But then he says that every user they've encountered so far has a psychological dependence and uh, you tell me which is worse and i'm like physical physical physical's worse physical's worse <laughs> so psychological dependence could describe pretty much anything I'm, I'm psychologically dependent on netflix yeah i'm psychologically dependent on rocky road trip oreos <laughs> man i've been fucking strung out for months bro because july and august you are do coming keep and going flashbacks. i do <laughs> July and August are coming and going, and there is still no Rocky Road Trip Oreo, so I think those things are just donezo. Then Joe asks a really weird question. He says, are the effects recurrent? Which is not a thing. Not a thing that happens. Happens with with drugs. any other drugs. Yeah, so I looked it up, and acid flashbacks are something that were really used to scare people about Mm. the effects of acids. There's very little 
evident that this is a widespread occurrence. I looked it up in a Popular Science article, and, and basically what Popular Science says is, yes, it happens in very, very few people after the initial, a month after initially taking a psychedelic, you may re-experience, but the people who are prone to do that are people who are prone towards visual hallucinations. Um, what's the thing where you hear sounds? Auditory see hallucinations. Sounds. No, oh, no, synesthesia. But, yeah, that sort of thing. People mm-hmm. with those sorts of whatever you want to call them, disorders. But more importantly, I found this uh, direct quote from a popular science article, which is, again, about acid flashbacks. And I'm reading it, again, word (laughs) for word. So if you're ready, and we'll put up the link for this. These are folks who can stand on a street corner and a car can drive by and they'll see a trail from the car. They'll look at a blank wall and see geometric patterns. They'll look at an arm and see a halo around the arm. It's really an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. It appears to be a disorder largely of the perceptual system, which is present 24-7, Abrams says. These are folks who can stand on a street corner and a car can drive by and they'll see a trail from the car. (laughs) They'll look at a blank wall and see geometric patterns. They'll look at an arm and see a halo around the arm, he describes. It's really an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. (laughs) Fuck you, popular science. (laughs) What are you trying to pull here, man? It's true. Cosmic vibes. <laughs> oh no, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the idea is that if they occur, they occur within uh, around about a month after. Sure. Not the rest of your life. Usually, yeah. Six years later, you wake up having a bad acid flashback. Right. Like, or this idea that if you take it once, you'll you'll eventually, like twenty years later, you'll experience them. For the rest of your life. it's Yeah, it's, which is definitely the impression I was given as a teenager. Absolutely. You we'll do talk acid about, once and like the rest of your life, you could, any any moment a flashback yeah, could strike. You could be driving or getting yeah. married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? Or, or in church, for God's sake. Can you imagine if someone having an acid flashback <laughs> in the middle of their wedding ceremony? Oh, that no, to man. me sounds like the greatest way to get out of getting married. If you're in the middle of it and you realize, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> Did you have cold feet? No, they were melting, man. <laughs> So, yes, and it's important to keep in mind that this whole scene is pretty much the writers and I'm sure the police uh, advisors just looking into the camera and going, as it's really scary. It's like a pamphlet. It's like they're reading you a pamphlet. He also talks about, the chemist talks about uh, nausea and aches and pains. He says that users think they're turning into monsters, want to destroy themselves, but have no urge to commit suicide. It's a weird sentence, man. I want to destroy myself, but they they don't actually want to commit suicide. But they don't want to commit suicide. So they just sit there then? (laughs) (laughs) They just sit there growling, sort of? And then... And then they get in their car and drive, and and Joe Friday spouts out some completely baseless facts. He spouts out one of my favorite lines of the entire show. I can't wait. Well, first of all, I think we need, it needs to be said that Dragnet is the show with the most definitive buttons at the end of every scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, every TV show, it's a facet of the writing. You want to put a nice sharp button on the end of your scene. Right. This is like, you can practically hear, bum, ba-dum, bum, yeah, underscoring true. the last line of every scene. So the last line of this scene with the scientist is, because they've been talking about how there's no law covering the sale or use of this class of drugs. Right. The scientist says, they better give you people something to work with damn soon. So like the walls are closing in. We're going to get this law in the books. So oh then, man, the walls are closing in, man. <laughs> and oh, they're no. bleeding. So we get a shot of the cops driving back to Juvie and Jack Webb's monotone voiceover is giving us more facts such as 
this, my favorite line, mm-hmm. LSD is so potent that a single pound of the preparation could turn every person in Los Angeles County into a total psychotic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what? All seven million it's Los like Angeles. It's a zombie movie. It's true. Uh, 30 pounds of fentanyl will kill seven million. <laughs> but, hey, whatever, whatever. We're talking about LSD right now. It's fine. I looked it up. I did the math. But they also mentioned that LSD sells for $10 a hit. Which, uh, in 1967, is $73. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Later, some some girls are going to say they paid $3 for a capsule, which is about still 23 bucks, yeah. dollars now, which is, I was just sort of like, man, That's still... you got to really, you got to really want that little capsule. Oh, so they go back, they confront uh, Blue Boy's parents. Yeah, Blue Boy's parents have showed up. Yeah. They are this... awful. Yeah, they're terrible. The father is a real like, my boy can't be in trouble. He's fine. Get him out of here. But the mother is what I like to call willfully pleasant <laughs> and joyously ignorant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is less reading off a cue card than she is a cue card that they just slap some makeup on. <laughs> She's just so blank. It's it's odd. So they're like, you can't arrest our kid. And they're like, yes, we can. They hold him under the Welfare and Institution Code, which is what WIC stands for. I had no idea until mm-hmm. right now. Code 601, <laughs> it's, which applies to people, uh, youths, that they find to be living an idle, dissolute, or immoral life. This is no longer on the books. No, I, I looked, looked it up. up too. I was like, really? Because I'm fucked. It's like he's held for his own protection. They're like, you're in danger of uh, becoming a miscreant, so we get to hold you on this. It's such a strange thing. Because I know I'm living an immoral life, and I'm idle enough that someday I'll be able to look up what dissolute means. And I'm pretty sure I'm hitting all three. Got the trifecta code 601 there. Mr. Carver pulls the whole, like, if you try to keep him, I'm going to have my lawyers come here and cops ain't scared they ain't scared of no lawyers mm. and the mom goes oh it's probably some high school thing you know how boys like to do initiations and grow their hair long and dress like those english singers <laughs> Does she say trip that? balls in the park yeah. that kind of stuff it's a fucking yes bark. yes <laughs> put their head in the ground you know how that goes well, they are like the beatles yeah. <laughs> uh and mr blue boy senior says i've heard about this lsd and it's my understanding that it hasn't done anybody any harm and so now you're supposed to i guess what you're supposed to take away from the scene is like the general public has no idea how dangerous this is only the cops know if only the cops had someone to work with to protect people from themselves um because clearly these parents have no idea how fucked up their kid is and etc etc and they'll pay for this later don't you worry they'll pay for their insubordination later oh boy yeah they'll be made to apologize it is again like the whole world is just completely fucked up except for Joe Friday and his partner who even his sleeve is fucked up so Joe Friday's on his own so they take this fucking kid to court. <laughs> yep, he gets a hearing. Several weeks later, he's placed on probation, released to his parents, and then he pulls <sighs> fucking the most baller, baller move. I have it fucking written down here. A real baller it's move. So I did, I wrote, this Oof. is a baller move, blue boy. Fucking yep. Joe Friday and Officer Gannon are outside looking disappointed that they couldn't fucking ruin a kid's life. <laughs> Today. Uh, yeah, today. They'll get there. <laughs> Tomorrow, we've got six more kids on the books. Fucking so. Joe Friday lights a match to light his cigarette. And Blue Boy comes up and grabs this dude's arm and uses the match to light his own cigarette. It's fucking boss. It's amazing. And then he goes, satisfied, Sherlock. And he walks away. I'm like, <sighs> fuck yes. This kid's a goddamn hero now. So just quickly, yep. uh, you know that uh, LSD won't wreck your body and kill you. We yep. know that now. You know what will, though? 
Cigarettes. Fucking smoking. Jack Webb promoted cigarettes in both TV commercials and print advertisements the whole time Dragnet was on. Everybody smoking in the show. First he promoted L&M's and then Chesterfield's. I, I hate, this is such a, it's not a, it's a mean thing to say, but ironically, mm. his three-pack-a-day habit most likely contributed to his fatal heart attack at the age of 62. Yep. So. So that's the end of act one. It ends on like the, the, the darkest despair. Yeah. Getting one-upped by a fucking kid. I can't imagine ever having the balls to do that. <laughs> but like, if you did, man. Holy shit. That would be fucking well, here's the thing. You wouldn't do that now because then the cops would fucking murder <laughs> Kill you. Kill you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, I think, why it's it's even more of a baller move. I will say, spoiler alert, this is the last time we'll see this guy alive. Oh, it's true. Um, That's his last But action. his spirit will live on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we know. So, so Chelsea, this LSD problem uh, seems to be really fucking with uh, kids and, and threatens our society. But how can we make it... The worst epidemic in the world. Little girls. Uh, little white girls. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now it's serious. Two little white girls are really <laughs> fucked up from LSD. The narkiest little white girls Good you God. will ever meet. Their names are Sandy and Edna May, 15 and 14 years old. And they very, they're very innocently recounting every acid trip to yeah. the policeman in the next. Everything melted. One of them saw an eye. Friday again and kind of rolling their eyes at each other. And then the whole point of this scene is that they bought their LSD from Blue Boy. Right. This Which again is, is not is a few not days later. Yet illegal. So really it's just stoking the fire in, right. in Joe Friday's cold black heart. By the way, Edna May would had previously played Louisa in The Sound of Music. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to look up everybody in this to see if they mm-hmm. were anybody, and that's it. The, both the girls are coming down really hard from their trip. They're experiencing yeah. nausea, headaches, illiteracy. They're oh just my God, having that's right. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Edna can't even read, man. She says they're all swimmy. The words are, the all words are swimmy. And Gannon again, Gannon. So, so I remember watching this. Sh- I watched this show with my with my grandmother and grandfather, and I remember my grandpa once being like, "You can tell." that he wrote, meaning Joe Friday. He was like, you can tell that guy wrote these scripts. And I was like, how? And he said, he gave himself all the best lines. It's true. I remember this very clearly, but Gannon has a really great line in this scene, which is, the girls say they bought their LSD for $3 a capsule, which is what we said, $23 in 2019. Gannon goes, three bucks a cap. When it drops to 50 cents, the kids in grammar school will have themselves a big time at recess, won't they? Sure they will. Sure they will, officer. A recess Gannon. of the mind. Oh, my God. Every slide's a super slide, man. <laughs> Cosmic slide. <laughs> you might as well look at the camera and go, right, parents? <laughs> boy, oh, boy, this crack is a new, cheap form of cocaine. I bet those kids are going right, to smoke at this. recess. Well, lest you think that Gannon has the kicker, the button of this scene, mm. Friday then follows that up with, how long does it take to make a batch of acid? Couple days? Takes a little longer to stir up a law, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Until then, fucking butt out, Joe Friday. Stir up a little law. Here's my problem with the, the cops in this. It's not the job of the police force to wish they could arrest people. Right. Or to be like, boy, I uh, I can't wait to arrest somebody for this. Also, what has anyone done that has hurt anyone but themselves? I know victimless crime is like a, a weird phrase, problematic in its own right, but like 
No one has so much as broken a window on LSD Absolutely. that we've seen so far. People make themselves nauseous. They make themselves see weird things. Yep. What? How is this really disturbing the peace so it, far? Yeah, you would think that they would throw out actual statistics of like, well, this person murdered that person on LSD, but they can't because... I mean, it'll happen in two years when the Manson family oh, murders absolutely. happen. They'll blame all of that on LSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at this point, they're just like... Yeah, God, these kids, for their own good, we need Mm -hmm. to be able to arrest them. Yeah. Six months go by. We get this voiceover from Jack Webb that's supposed to, I think, stir us into a panic because it's like LSD users are increasing at an alarming rate. They have established their own language. (laughs) It's like this. This It's like that. And basically, the takeaway from this is people cannot police themselves. They need laws and they need policemen to protect them from their freewheeling instincts. Yeah. They are blaming the counterculture movement on acid in this episode. They are not at all thinking, you know, hey, maybe there's civil unrest and also acid (laughs) to thing, you know, that goes along with it. But also, also, he he gives a lot of cool, uh, fun names for it. He does. They call it the ticket, the ghost, the chief. The hawk, the beast. It's like, they're probably, <laughs> those are related to each other. You're just throwing darts at a dictionary <laughs> yeah. now, dude. The Bougainvillea. They call it whatever. You know, it's like whatever. <laughs> the aardvark. The zebra. <laughs> the aardvark. So, <laughs> I'm the aardvark, man. <laughs> so, there's a new wrinkle, too, in case you weren't upset about LSD on its own. Yeah. Apparently, it takes 45 minutes to an hour for acid to hit, he tells us. <laughs> yeah. And users have started spending this waiting period smoking marijuana. What? Marijuana? So, now marijuana is involved no. in this, in case it wasn't scary enough on its own. Yeah. LSD, it turns out, is a gateway drug to marijuana. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I only know of this because of uh, amazing comedian Paul F. Tompkins, but when we are talking about people, you know, when we're talking about Squaresville people writing, like, what drugs are about, he has a bit about the supposed diary Go Ask Alice, mm-hmm. which is a found diary right. of a white girl. Satanic gets, panic thing? No, it's all drugs. Oh, it's drugs. all, I got into drugs, and then I sold my body, and then they oh, right. the satanic panic sent me to a hospital, and I reco- died. Was reso- memories, recovered memories. But he does fake. point out in Go Ask Alice, there is a, uh, a bit where she says, I tried acid last night. It was okay. I really can't wait to try marijuana, though. And it's like, no. No. <laughs> that's not how any <laughs> it's of... It's not the no, order. That's not the thing. <laughs> nice try, though. I really want to appreciate brownies more. <laughs> so here's where we get into like a weird... The timeline thing. Yeah, it just seems like such a dumb mistake to make. So what actually happened with the outlawing of LSD was in on May 30th, 1966, the California governor and the Nevada governor signed a bill into law outlawing the sale and use of LSD in California and Nevada. The ban went into effect immediately in Nevada, mm-hmm. but the ban was set to go into effect on... October 6th, 1966 in California. So there were there's several months. What happens in this show is <laughs> yeah. Richie shows up and he's all excited <laughs> to tell Friday and Gannon that the LSD ban is going to go into effect in 48 hours. Which is... Uh, and it's like, they've been obsessed with this yeah. forever. They didn't know that the California governor six months ago signed this bill into law. Also, they're wrong because they clearly say that it's October 5th when they're, they get this news from Richie, who right. says it's going into effect in 48 hours, which is a day later than it actually went into effect, which is yeah. just like... Just fucking... It's take annoying. 24 instead of 48 hours. Hey, put down the pipe. 
Also, it doesn't Web. make any difference because it's not like we go bust up an acid party tonight and we can't arrest anyone because oh. like by the time they're back out on the street trying to catch Blue Boy again, it's in effect. So like, yeah. what is this even about? Yeah. Justice moves too slow. Lawmaking moves too slow. Do you see there were six months where people were ruining their lives and their fine leather goods? <laughs> They were ripping the sleeves off policemen's jackets all over town. You know how many sleeves we lost. <laughs> so now, but now cut to October 10th, because for whatever reason. Uh, four days, like, <laughs> celebrating, I they, guess. Right, everyone, the whole department got four days off. They catch this guy high on acid. Mm-hmm. They bring him in, because now they can arrest him for that. And he's willing to testify against Blue Boy, because Blue Boy sold him two bum trips. And the officers laugh like this is funny. Yeah. But they laugh probably because their lives are joyless and empty, I'm right. guessing. Right, and they're reading off a teleprompter. So, so <laughs> since, this, since this guy will testify, a complaint was issued, a warrant yep. was issued for Benji Carver, Blue Boy. They get that from the DA's office, and then Friday and Gannon go about trying to arrest, trying to find and arrest Blue Boy. Sure, so they go to the Blue Boy's uh, palatial estate, <laughs> <laughs> where yes. his father, Blue Man, is not in attendance. No, I mean, I assume he killed him. That's the only uh, It really reason. is. Yeah, his yeah. mother says that Blue Boy moved out three months ago. She has no idea where he is. She and is it's lousy like, with regret. She's lousy with regret. And it's just like, yeah, you got yours. This will teach you to not listen to the cops yeah. if they tell you your kid's a piece of shit. And fucking Joe Friday, at, at this line, I understand that it's just normal police work, but it sounds a little obsessive. She's like, yes, it's a minor selling to a minor. He's like, nope, he's nope. 18 now. And it's like, oh, yeah. Joe Friday, cool out, man. Yeah. He's like, Mother Blue Boy, when we catch him, <laughs> he'll be tried as an adult. And Blue it's like, Mom. oh, okay, we don't have to. She didn't do it. Yeah. Like, and she's like, when you find him, tell him I said we still love him. Yeah. Which is a lie because they do not. They don't. And she does apologize on behalf of herself and Blue Boy Sr. for acting like dicks at the police station six months ago. Sure. Because because she has to. Because that's how the because the cops are never wrong. And if you are mean to cops, then you have to apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, your son is dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> P.S. Too late. So they cruise down to the Sunset Strip where some sort of vague teenage protests are going on in the show. Chelsea. There are a bunch of signs that don't really tell you what's being protested. They don't. They don't mention it at all. But Chelsea, I looked it up. Please tell me. I will tell you because this is the Sunset Strip curfew riots. Oh, I see. We get the term teenage riots, which meant nothing to me. So I had never heard of the Sunset Strip curfew riots in my life. And I looked it up, and it turns out during 1966, counterculture youths and hippies, much like in Haight-Ashbury in uh, San Francisco, the main gathering place was along the Strip, and in clubs and, and uh, you know, various mm-hmm. hippie mm-hmm. doings were happening there. It was kind of a vice district at that time. At that, yeah, I mean, yeah. Up, and, up and through the 80s and right. 90s, it was just not a great place to be. Uh, residents in the area started advocating for the city to do something. And the city did lots of things. First of all, uh, in the mid to late 1966, nine, uh, Los Angeles implemented numerous measures to curtail the growing nuisance. They rescinded the youth permits of 12 local clubs, forcibly turning them into 21 and up mm. clubs. They, um, they forced the, this is true, they forced the managers of the Whiskey A Go Go to change the establishment establishment's name to the Whisk A Go Go. <laughs> they made them take, like a kitchen they instrument. Them, they made them literally remove the Y from their sign so oh that it would be a more God. upstanding club. 
They also forcibly acquired, closed, and demolished Pandora's Box, one of the most oh, popular yeah. clubs for kids and hippies. It used to stand on Sunset and uh, Crescent Heights. Finally, the city implemented a strict 10 p.m. curfew and loitering laws, and police began to systematically harass everybody all day long, you know, arresting people for any sort of violation whatsoever. So this curfew law was seen by the youth as a infringement of their civil rights, and they began to demonstrate and protest, which is what we're seeing in the B-roll footage of this episode, carrying signs, marching up and down the strip. And finally, a protest was planned on November 12th, 1966, at Pandora's Box. 1,000 demonstrators showed up, including celebrities Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, who was arrested, and Bob Denver, TV's Gilligan, was there, <laughs> as well as Sonny and Cher. And unrest continued for several months into 1967 uh, with Pandora's Box as a central rallying location. And despite its name, Chelsea, there weren't ever actually any riots at all. There were reports of two broken windows and marching, but they dubbed it a riot. You know where there was a riot? The, the Watts riots were a year before yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And the Black Cat Tavern... On Sunset Boulevard, which is still there, yeah. right at Sunset Junction, in 1967 was one of the site of one of the first Pride demonstrations protesting police harassment of LGBTQ people, preceding right. the Stonewall riots by two years. So that's 1967 too. Yeah, LA is boiling over Absolutely. at this point in time with people mistrusting the police and people feeling abused by the police. You wouldn't know it from watching Dragnet. No, not at all, because LSD is the problem. I do want to throw out one more factoid. Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills and Nash and Buffalo Springfield wrote a song about the Sunset Strip curfew riots that he performed when the Pandora's Box Club opened for one night only on Christmas called For What It's Worth. And it's a very familiar song. You might recognize it. Here's how it goes. has become sort of a go-to Vietnam the uh, riots or sorry Vietnam protest song but that's what it's actually about wow it's the counterculture getting hassled in um, it's uh, a lot of the unrest around this time goes into those songs it was less about Vietnam or very specific things more about like the right to gather and exist, exist. for a lot of the youth yeah and I think one of the uh one of the reasons they brought back, they rebooted Dragnet 1967, mm-hmm. was to improve the image of the yeah. police, specifically the LAPD. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what this quote-unquote riot was about, and that's what other riots are about. are all about police harassment at that right. time. The most unlikely thing that's ever happened on a police procedural Shit, now kidding. happens. Uh, do you remember those uh, poor little white girls, Edna, May, and Sandy, the girls from before? I do. They're at the protest. or they're, Only or, because we just saw them five minutes right. ago. Or maybe they're just hanging out on the Sunset Strip being 14 and 15. Yep. They see the policemen and call them over like they're just old pals. Hey, the cops. Sergeant Friday. And the cops are like, Sandy, Edna May, I remember you. <laughs> What's going on? Did you ever learn to read? <laughs> nope. Nope. 
the girls volunteer. Then it comes to even ask them, have you seen Blue Boy? Have you seen your dealer around? They volunteer that Blue Boy invited them to an acid party tonight, but they aren't going to go. But hey, coppers, here's the address. And they just hand it over. It's already written down. These two engage in high-level snitchery and due to the transitive (laughs) property, deserve no less than stitchery. It's true. Except that I think that this is actually some 21 Jump Street shit. These girls are 25 and they're undercover or they're informants. That's the only thing that makes any sense. It doesn't. No one has ever been at an, an anti-police protest, mm-hmm. seen two plainclothes officers, and been like, hey, would you like the address of a party where you can go arrest some people? That party I wasn't interested in wrote <laughs> down. Right. At 10.18, the cops arrive at the party. <laughs> Oof. They and it just is ought to be full fun. swing? Can I describe the party? Because I wrote down what everyone's doing. Please. So this is what's happening. It's at a big house that they say has seen better days, which it, it actually just looks like it's not decorated. It looks like it's in fine condition. Mm. The party is bathed in red light. Some beatnik-looking dude is playing weird horn music on, like, a reel-to-reel tape deck thing. Some other beatnik dude is painting and also eating paint at the same time. A girl is dancing alone in the middle of the room slowly. A girl is leaning against a wall, just snapping her fingers. Mm -hmm. A girl is trying to climb a different wall. A girl is sitting in a chair, staring into space. No one cares about the cops or each other. That's the whole party. Yes, and it's it's weird that they actually included this scene because Buffalo Springfield also wrote a song about this. I don't have the recording of it, but he goes, there's very little happening here. <laughs> God's face is full of paint smears. Again, it's not exactly clear. The cops, the cops could not roll their eyes harder. They walk in and they're not concerned about anyone in terms Uh-oh. of like, is everyone okay? Is everyone is everyone safe and <laughs> no. healthy? They just walk in and they're like, fuck, look at these kids. Turn, None of them are blue boy. They turn on the lights and everybody's like, hey, don't turn off the lights. Nobody moves. And the officer kind of goes, freeze! And they're like, we don't want to move. Do you know what the girl who's been dancing alone in the middle of the floor starts yelling though? Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas! I was too busy thinking of the fake Buffalo Springfield song while you were talking. (laughs) Did we mention the shitty DJ in this thing? (laughs) Yeah, the like tape deck guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The cops find a hundred capsules of LSD and four rolled joints, which Friday just puts all in his pocket. (laughs) He sure does. (laughs) He's like, these are for me now. Snaps one of them. He's like, Marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> Jazz. Jazz cigarettes. Jazz cigarettes. The cops tell everyone they're under arrest and read them their Miranda rights. Yeah. The druggies can't really be bothered to care or understand what's mm-hmm. going on. Paint Eater tells us that Blue Boy has swooped the scene. Swooped the scene. Yeah, he's very polite you know, and cooperative. I wish I could swoop the scene on this entire episode, I but I guess I we have to see it through. I wish I had swoop never seen this one more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Friday calls for some black and whites, meaning, you know, uh, uniformed police officers, sort of uh, foot soldiers of the police yeah. department, to come and book the acid heads. They arrive before he's finished that sentence. They're yeah, they do. at the door. And, uh, well, you know, they got to make sure all the sleeves are safe in this <laughs> right. part of town. Uh, Dancing Merry Christmas states, you're not going to search me. And Ganna responds, no, but a policewoman will. And cool. exactly that tone of voice. And somebody's like, stay out of my purse. And he's like, keep your nose out of my purse. And he's like, you should have kept your nose out of that acid. Right. And it's like, you, you mm. saw they were capsules. Would you think they sh- she shoved them up her nose? Or just maybe just don't. No, maybe we don't need have any a, of this. They have to have a rejoinder for everything. Which is amazing that that kid got away with lighting his cigarette Boy. for Friday's match. And there was no... 
There was no witty rejoinder. It's it's amazing, but, but they had to be now, like, but... yeah, it's fine. That the ultimate witty rejoinder, <laughs> death. Again, it's somewhat telling that we want to show kids who need to be arrested for their own good. We've already set this up as mm-hmm. a moral imperative already, but the kids are just standing around and not doing anything. And the most they do is kind of give them a little lip. Friday and Gannon uh, head out the plainclothes or that I'm sorry, the uniformed cops tell them that there's a drugstore a few blocks away that has just sold 3000 empty number five capsules to a guy who matches blue boys description mm-hmm. and delivered them. Yeah, so they have an address. Big fucking mistake. So now we're going to approach the inmost cave. The yep. cops head over to the address that the chemist gives them. Over at the inmost apartment. At the inmost apartment. And they say they arrive at midnight. The <sighs> manager confirms that Benji Carver lives down the hall. And he and another boy were, quote, really whooping it up really until about up. an hour ago. Yeah. And she gives them a key to enter the apartment. And Friday lets himself in as Gannon covers the window. And now we have the supreme ordeal. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, I make that joke every time, and I'm never going to stop. How much of an ordeal it is to fucking go through these things. Friday bursts into this very tastefully decorated mid-century modern apartment. It's a very nice apartment for some drug dealers to live in. Especially if their minds are really as warped as the police would have us believe. Yeah. A kid named Philip Jameson is sitting there, spaced out on the floor. He doesn't even look up when Friday enters. Gannon just comes on in because he's like, I guess nothing's happening at this window. Comes in, he finds a box of acid, reds, yellows, and rainbows. Because it would be 20 more years before they came up with the terms yellow jackets and red devils. <laughs> and goofballs. And goofballs. It's a real Skittles assortment of pills. So this kid says that Benji took a shit ton of pills to quote-unquote get further out, had some sort of fit, and has been sitting perfectly still for an hour. Which, I don't care what drugs you're on, you're probably going to figure out that that's not right. He's just been sitting there with his eyes open, holding his breath. He's like, he's been like that for he had a fit. He's just staring at him. And he, he says, forcibly evacuated his bowels. <laughs> right. He said he's been taking pills all day, yeah. saying you want to get farther out and farther out. And Friday goes over Ultimate and checks button, his pulse y'all. and goes, well, he made it. He's dead. <laughs> the furthest out he can get. dead. And it, there's no sympathy in his voice. No. It's not even like, well, I told him so. It's just like, that kid fucking lit a cigarette off my match. <laughs> <laughs> we meet again. But the Disrespectful teen. Yeah. Look who won this one. I guess. Why wouldn't, why, okay, honestly, why didn't Joe Friday take out a cigarette and take out a match and strike it on Blue Boy's yes! face and be like, I am satisfied. And the name's Friday, not Sherlock. Oh my and then that's God. just the, and then he stares into the camera. Somehow I would, I would be a little more excited, as shitty as that would be, because at least it would be something. Yeah. At least it wouldn't feel like acting by teleprompter. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, they're going to get to it here in a second, but. His, he didn't die because yeah, of acid. Yeah, he didn't even die because of acid, because you they can't. Try, they try to make a sentence where that sounds like it. Right. But, okay, so let's get to it. The epilogue of every episode of Dragnet is like, we arrested this person, we're going to try them, or this person's dead, and we're going to get to the coroner's report, yeah. which is what we're doing here. Right. And then they have, like, a commercial break. Yeah. So you can you can wait to find out what exactly happened. Yeah. So, so the badge comes up again, badge, yep. badge 714 LAPD, and it says, on December 15th, a coroner's inquest was held at the city morgue. In a moment, the results of that inquest. Turns out, 
Blue Boy OD'd on both LSD and barbiturates, which they have to put in there because yeah. you can't kill yourself by doing too much acid. The way that they say this is uh, Benji, Blue Boy, McGillicuddy, or whatever his name is, <laughs> uh, had administered, administered himself an overdose of LSD in combination with various barbiturates <laughs> yes. and had thus taken his own life. It's like there is a genuine pause there, and then they're like, also, can actually. also deadly drugs. Right. Also, everyone knows that you can kill yourself with barbiturates, so yeah. also those. But mostly the LSD thing. Yes. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, There's man. no, like, but luckily he can't harm anyone else now or anything. Like, no moralizing. It's no. just like, again, you draw your own conclusions. We are sure you will come to the conclusions that we came to. I we would, being Jack Webb. I would argue... And had thus taken his own life is what we're supposed to concentrate on is that he killed himself because of acid. Acid killed this kid, but he also is responsible for his own death. Right. Can you imagine what this episode would have looked like if they had done it two years later after the Manson family murders? Jesus, McGeezus. Oh, my God. I will say people look at the Sunset Strip curfew riots as the breaking point between when kids felt like they could assemble in a place and feel validated in their experience. And once the police started breaking that up, it left a gap wherein heroin users and other drug users started filling in Mm -hmm. the blanks there. There are, I didn't do enough research to do this, but it draws a direct line between police cracking down on the peaceful counterculture children and an empty space that the Manson family and other harder drug users filled. And I I don't mean to imply that the Manson family committed those murders because of LSD. That's not, that is not true. Charlie Manson was a psychopath and he created a cult and I'm not going to tell you about the Manson family. I could talk about it all day, but at the time, part of what they did together was drop a lot of acid. Absolutely. And the media seized on that mm-hmm. as a like, look, it makes you psychotic. It makes you a murderer. It's an odd thing, this moral outrage, because the Manson family was also doing a bunch of heroin and stuff like that too. And I think that what they're not saying in this is when you talk about things that you develop a psychological dependence on, the drugs aren't in, in this instance, in a lot of instances, the drugs aren't causing that psychological dependence. You are seizing on the drugs for your own psychological right. dependence. If you were the Manson family and acid didn't exist, you'd still probably go murder a bunch of people because yeah. oh, yeah, you're sure. murdery people. Yeah. Uh, this kid clearly was, you know, wanted to do a bunch of drugs. He was going to paint his face. He was going to paint his face. Not. Hey, do you know what happened to this actor, Michael Burns? No, I don't. He became a professor of history at Mount Holyoke. Oh, shit. Uh, in, retired in 2000. Two, now holds the designa- designation Professor Emeritus. Mm. He resides in Danville, Kentucky, and he has restored a place he and his wife called the Cambus Kenneth Estate. It's a thoroughbred horse farm listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So he became a historian oh, yeah. and restored a thoroughbred horse farm. Maybe the best results of any child actor we've ever covered on this That's show. actually really, really good. Uh, I will say, though, while you're describing him and I was picturing him, in every mental picture, he does have his face painted blue. That's and true. Red. I feel like that's just, that that dye doesn't ever come off. Um, uh, I think so. Mental Floss, of course, wrote about this show. They said that, among other things, in 1997, TV Guide ranked the Blue Boy episode of Dragnet at number 85 on its 100 greatest episodes of all time sure. list. Jack Webb was the first civilian 
buried with full police honors. <laughs> Upon his death, his badge number 714 was officially retired from the LAPD. Okay. Uh, the Atlantic actually published a, a great article in 2015 called The Dragnet Effect, How TV Has Obscured Police Brutality. And it starts with the line, Dragnet was a lie. Um, <laughs> sure. And it says that, and I'm quoting directly, the idealized image of the Los Angeles Police Department that the series portrayed of a thoroughly modern agency dispassionately dispensing justice is sharply at odds with the historical reality of an imperfect force beset by racism, brutality, and decades of scandals. Dragnet's writers didn't know that at the time, but the LAPD brass they, wor- they worked with formally and informally knew as they advised and shaped a show that billed its stories as true with names changed to protect the innocent, that it alighted what many policemen routinely did on the job. Mm. Dragnet exemplifies a myopic pro-police posture that has, for decades, stymied reforms needed if law enforcement is to live up to its professed ideals. So the LAPD's chief from 1950 to 1965, William H. Parker, helped make several iterations of Dragnet happen. He advised a lot on different iterations of the franchise. He ran a department that was, now we know, now we have the, we have the receipts on this, racist, brutal to minorities, and failed at many aspects of policing. Of policing, There are stories of misconduct, scandals, controversies, allegations, crucial reforms and improvements that were badly needed weren't made until after the turn of this last century. Right. But Dragnet's creator, Jack Webb, who plays Joe Friday, as we said, always had police officers advising on scripts. He is quoted as saying, my relationship with the cops was just to sit around and drink and listen to their stories. <laughs> There's another writer on the show who says in the article that he was never as close to the cops as his boss. Quote, Jack would often be stopped driving drunk, and when they found out it was him, one patrolman would get behind the wheel of his Cadillac, and the other would follow behind in the patrol car back to his house. Great. You mean when Jack was committing a crime, the police looked the other way? Yay, Jack Webb. So just a brief uh, history of LSD. It was discovered on accident in 1942. Albert Hoffman, a Swiss scientist, was synthesizing the elements of ergot fungus and accidentally synthesized LSD, which I, Lord have mercy. My entire life, I've tried to say lysergic diethylamide right. something. LSD. Uh, accidentally uh, dosed himself uh-huh, uh-huh. and then wrote a, wrote about it in his journal. He was like, what a weird day I had. I think we talked about this a little bit before in a previous episode that some there's this theory that the Salem witch trials yes. were because the whole town accidentally got hold of some of this fungus, ate, yeah. ate something infected with this fungus, and everyone was tripping balls and seeing people flying. And uh, a lot of a lot of historical events are attributed to ergot poisoning, which ergot is a bacteria, a fungus that attaches itself to rye. Mm. Um, so people will make bread with fucking psychedelic poison sure. in it. Ergot itself, however, does not cause transcendent effects. It's more paranoia and mm-hmm. panic mm-hmm. and uh, and that sort of thing. Seeing so, witches. Seeing witches. Yeah. Um, the French Revolution, the great French panic uh. is is attributed to this as well as, as Let them other. eat bread with psychedelics in it. Yeah. And then, oh, where'd my head go? <laughs> Whoops. Once he figured out that LSD was this psychoactive substance, he started trying to study it, but he was the only one who had the means to produce it and his company, Sandoz, had the first copyright to it. They were real open with it, and they'd share it with whoever wanted to. So scientists in America and in Europe started trying to study LSD. However, that was quickly stopped when outrage, panic, 
and this you know heightened morality said that LSD was an evil drug that was tearing our society apart. Right. So much so that the government, uh, which tried to use it as a, a weapon, the CIA. Sure. As soon as anything comes along, it's like, course, can we weaponize this? They're like, how can we use this to make other soldiers gay? <laughs> um, no, the, the CIA tried to use uh, LSD, and when they found out that, that it was too volatile and too unpredictable, gave up. And then the government started cracking down on scientific studies until the late 60s and 1970, where the government wrote classified LSD as a Schedule One controlled substance in the Controlled Substance Act of 1970, where they wrote that LSD had no currently accepted medical usage and all research was shut down. And it was shut down for about 40 or 50 years. It's actually just now getting some sort of research attention. Yeah. So when we look at LSD and when we see the panic about it and when they don't understand what it does or how it works, a lot of the fault lies in the fact that the government shut down research into it, like even scientific research. The Controlled Substance Acts didn't just say it's illegal to own. They said no one can own this. Yeah. Which is an odd thing to do for a drug. You know, morphine, you know, is a controlled substance, but they still study, you know, its uses. Scientists in in the 50s and 60s were just beginning to understand how to use LSD. Uh, Immediately, it was thought of something that could help uh, fight alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Because psychedelic substances tend to change up your established thought patterns and your perspective, they feel like it can help cope with alcoholism and substance abuse, Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, PTSD, these sorts of things. But it's really, we just had a 50-year gap where nobody could experiment with it under controlled settings. We're way behind in trying to understand what LSD and other psychedelic substances can do for people. Now, Denver decriminalized psilocybin mushrooms. Oakland decriminalized psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, peyote. Way to fucking go, Oakland. <laughs> um, Sounds like a fun, fun place to spend really, your summer vacation. I never wanted to go to Oakland until now. And people are starting to get the idea that there is some use for it. There's the idea that microdosing, which mm-hmm. is taking an imperceivable amount of a psychedelic substance, uh, could be an alternative to other medications that carry heavy side effects like Prozac right. and Wellbutrin Exactly. And like In that. terms of managing uh, depression and Absolutely. anxiety. Yeah. And you recently read Michael Pollan's latest book, I How did. to Change Your Mind, right? Do you recommend it? Oh, yeah. The book, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. He does a really good job of going into the history, and he describes a lot of scientists trying to do research and getting shut down. Mm-hmm. Even even when a young senator named Robert F. Kennedy was like, hey, shouldn't we use this? They were right. like, fuck you, and they shut it down anyway. <laughs> did you ever see the LSD episode of Mad Men? Yes, I did. I was just thinking about that. This episode of Dragnet set in 1966. Mm-hmm. I just looked it up to make sure I was correct. The LSD episode of Mad Men is also set in 1966. Yeah. So it's sort of like rich white people and intellectuals on the Upper East Side of Manhattan are doing this at parties to expand their minds in this way that feels very like avant-garde and intellectual Mm -hmm. to them. Meanwhile, the cops in LA are like, we got to beat these capsules out of these kids. Also, as a result of the moral panic that we see in this episode, LSD is still seen as an incredibly dangerous substance. Uh, In a survey uh, study in 2014 of college students, college students perceive taking LSD once or twice in their lifetime 
to be riskier than weekly binge drinking? Uh, so we're about to launch into this question where we always where we always get to is, would you show this to a modern audience to show to tell them about the dangers of LSD? No, mm. I wouldn't show this to a modern audience. I wouldn't show it to a 1967 audience. Absolutely not. There's it doesn't actually tell you anything about LSD. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't tell you anything about anything. I wouldn't it really sh- doesn't. like doesn't teach you anything about police work really even well, i mean which is what the show is supposed to do right the yeah. show is propaganda for cops it's That's supposed to saying. show you how hard the police work and how morally centered they are mm-hmm. and how their judgment is unerring and all these things and like it doesn't even this episode doesn't even really do that because they're like chasing around a kid who, who for the first half of the episode isn't even doing anything illegal right and by the time they catch him he's dead so yeah. like what did you really prevent I know it's outside of our, our specific purview, but I think I would show this to a modern audience just to show here is sort of the blinders that society can put on to really go after moral outrage while they're literally showing in the background peaceful right. demonstrations about police brutality uh, and police intervention and feeling displaced. Yeah, we can we can show like the police are like no, we know what's morally correct. For, right. We'll just put this in the background as a sort of funny thing that kids are doing. I think it has benefit in that regard as a, a bit mm. of exploitation and propaganda mm-hmm. for sure. But no, it has no value other than that. No. Did you want to hug anyone? I want to. You know what? Blue Boy does seem to have problems. If you are taking LSD and then you're like, you know what? LSD isn't enough. I need to throw in some barbiturates into the mix. Then you got some real problems. And that kid needs a fucking hug to start with. Hey, what if we had focused on the barbiturates and opioids and things and been like, these seem really dangerous. Like people might actually be able to overdose on these. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't let them be sold basically over the counter with no government oversight and let these pharmaceutical companies get insanely wealthy because people will start dying in droves. Yeah. Or if we'd seen that coming. Yeah. Or Chelsea, if I don't know, this is a crazy idea. Instead of approaching drug users in a criminal or non-criminal way, if it wasn't just, we need to arrest this kid, how are we going to do that? And approach drug use as emblematic of um, something else. Yeah. Like maybe if one character had said, why are all these kids on acid? Yeah. Like, what is it about their lives that make them want to go far, far away and trip trip balls and go farther out and farther out. Like, yeah, what? you know. No. If anybody had a fucking heart in this. Right, no. But there's no... If they didn't wear their anger on their ripped sleeve. <laughs> there's no... There's never any... In these very special episodes, I mean, very rarely is there ever any getting to the root of the problem. It's mm-hmm. always just trying to manage the symptoms. It really is. With a sledgehammer in this case. Yeah. And I think this, this episode... You know, as much as the Nancy Reagan drug episode or some of the other drug episodes that we do is really just you can see now how how incredibly harmful that is. Yeah. You are ignoring your outrage is taking place of genuine concern. Yeah, so I guess I don't really want to hug anyone. I mean, maybe Sandy and Edna May and be like, dude, yeah. if you just fucking... Just, if you're at the protest, like yeah. be with your friends. Don't you don't, don't need to be call the cops giving over. cops addresses. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, dudes. Do I this. didn't really learn anything. No, I learned actually a lot about uh Dragnet. Yeah. I learned <laughs> a lot about the fucking sunset uh Yeah, I learned riots. a lot about that from you today. That's that's an amazing piece of history. And looking back at that time period is really incredibly informative between the riots that get shown on TV and how quick 
history is to call a thing a riot. There yeah. are there are articles on eyewitness accounts, and it's like somebody fired off an extinguisher, like a fire <laughs> extinguisher in a bus, two broken windows. That was the extent of riot. the riot. Now yeah. we're calling it a riot, which makes you wonder about other things that are deemed riots. Right. Yeah, but it's an interesting and volatile time in history, and it's really worth uh, reading about. And you would never know it from watching Dreadnought, which sort of floats along in a boat of its own self-satisfaction on this roiling, boiling sea of unrest. It sure does. What are we watching next time? Next time, we're finally getting to it, folks. Oh my gosh. We're going to do the big one. We are uh, watching Saved by the Bell episode, Jesse's song, a.k.a. I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, this I'm is so scared. far and away the episode we have been asked oh, yeah. most frequently when we're going to do. We will have very special guest Brian Otaño with mm-hmm. us, and we are pretty pumped. Yeah, it's going to be a great one, folks. So definitely tune in. That is going to be our season finale for this, our second season, mm-hmm. of which we are celebrating... Our one year and one week anniversary. Next year we'll celebrate our two (laughs) year and two week. (laughs) Just we'll just keep getting further out. It's like a leap year syndrome. We just keep adding time to it until someday we'll be uh, celebrating our fifty second and fifty (laughs) third anniversary at the same time. Figure that out, calendar scientist. I feel like I'm on LSD. Okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, join us next time, and we'll see you then. Bring snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!